Welcome to the Web3 Music Podcast. I'm Jake Abel, and I'm here to explore the different intersections of music, entertainment, crypto, and NFTs. Each episode, I interview an artist, creator, or builder who's pushing the envelope in music NFTs, artist tooling, community building, and more. Before we get into the episode, I'd like to thank our first sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Neon Ox, the premier North American ticketing solution for your next live event. Neon Ox is harnessing the power of blockchain and the GET protocol to change the events industry for the better. Using NFTs on the back end and a familiar intuitive checkout funnel on the front end, ticket buyers can purchase 100% fraud-free tickets without any blockchain knowledge or experience. Neon Ox provides personal account managers for each client and their platform has an integrated secondary market to eliminate scams. Event organizers can even factor in a royalty to these sales to get a cut of secondary market action. They also have the ability to include a free NFT with each ticket so that interested fans can claim their digital collectible after each event and event organizers can see which attendees are interested in Web3. To learn more about Neonox and how they can help improve your ticketing experience, visit neonox.io and mention this podcast on the contact form on their start selling page. You can also reach out to the Web3 Music Podcast on social media and we will help you schedule a demo of the platform. And with that, let's get into today's episode. Today I'm talking with Ellie Farisi from Bello. Ellie has experience as an engineer, a music manager, and an event organizer, among other things. And Bello is the new analytics tool she is developing for creators to learn more about their collectors on chain. We talk about her background and work experience, how she started Bello, using collector data to create actionable insights for creators, NFTs and tiered subscription models, learning and making connections at crypto and NFT conferences, and more. I hope this podcast teaches you something new today. Here is Ellie Farisi. All right, Ellie, again, thanks for doing this. I guess let's start, you know, I'll let you introduce yourself, talk about what you're working on now and maybe your background in any background in music and how you got into Web3 and maybe how those two are have come together. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you said my name's Ellie. Primarily, I'm an engineer, but I've also like worked in the music industry for a number of years. So kind of worn different hats at different points. I guess primarily my background started in college or I guess before that in high school with computer science. I started coding when I was like 16 or 17. Um, and then I went to school for, com- for uh, computer science. And uh, during that time, yeah, just super actively involved in, in different aspects of, of being able to teach uh, to different high schools and things like that, as well as, you know, different initiatives. And from that, got my first internship at Lockheed Martin. So I did working for the aerospace engineering team um, in Pennsylvania and was able to like, you know, I, I get a first experience into coding on a big, big team. And um, yeah, basically got to test circuit boards that went into rockets and stuff that was going into space. So it was, it was definitely a really cool experience. Um, from there though, I, I actually then worked part-time as an intern and part-time employee at Comcast headquarters in Philly, where I went to college um, doing like full stack engineering. Um, and then, yeah, from there, I still in school, graduated during COVID, uh, was one of the 15 people in, a, in this program to get selected for Comcast NBC Universal to do uh, like different locations around the country and do different job uh, positions. And so my first one, I actually decided to move out to LA and do uh, a team with NBC, basically building out the microservers architecture backend of like Peacock and how that content delivery works for them. Um, so that's like the 
up until that point engineering experience. But during that time, I was also extraordinarily active in music. I, I started really, you know, I've always had a passion for music. My family are all musicians in some shape or form. Um, all of my friends in college were. And so I started actually managing a few artists in college uh, and then, you know, a few more here and there. And then when I moved out to uh, Philly, I'm sorry, moved out from Philly to LA. I, I, you know, had some jobs in the industry working at a booking agency, helped run A&R for a record label for a little while, um, and still managing other artists, producers, and things at the time. Um, also, I guess during that time, I, uh, is when like the intro, intro to Web3 sort of started to happen. So I was engineering and doing music and all this stuff. Um, and I wanted to bring the sort of like DIY feel of Philadelphia that the music scene there had to LA and support artists in like a local music way uh, during COVID because, you know, there wasn't really much going on. And so I actually had the opportunity to, to partner with somebody and, and start a music collective called Radio House, where we like brought in artists, did live streams, all that sort of stuff. Um, and I had a podcast at the time, too. I was interviewing artists and different people in the industry and ended up inter interviewing um before it was a thing, but the founder of Catalog. And so he is also an engineer and uh, a music lover. And so like, we just totally vibed on, on the, the technology aspect of it. And I pretty much just fell like deeply into the rabbit hole then. Um, and everything about NFTs, all that sort of stuff. Uh, stayed with NBC for a while, tried to, to get them to join into some of the things which only had so much success. And then uh, decided to jump about a little over a year ago, full-time into Web3. Cool. All right. It's quite a background. Yeah, definitely, definitely worn a lot of hats there. Uh, it's interesting. <laughs> Tell me more about the the artists you manage and how you started, you know, doing that, working with artists in Philly, how that came about and how that sort of developed as you moved to LA. Yeah, it was definitely a really uh, personal thing at first where I, I went to college. Uh, my sister's two years older than me and she also went to the same college and she's a singer songwriter, extraordinarily talented, um, but wasn't really like super eager on doing social media or show booking, all that sort of stuff that frankly, you know, you kind of have to do as an artist. Mm -hmm. um, and so I realized that like, oh, well, I didn't want to be in front of the spotlight. I didn't want to be on the stage, but I was really good at the organization, the, the, the management, the social media sort of stuff. So I started helping her out just kind of as like something I, I enjoyed doing. Um, and then she ended up moving away soon after that to Austin. And I actually, um, from, from that experience, started managing a few other friends, bands in Philly and that sort of stuff. Um, and, and the music scene there is really extraordinary and had the opportunity to also have like a little local venue that I would book shows for and help other artists book shows. So I just got got to wear a lot of hats, see, see how kind of like that do-it-yourself version of the industry works, um, which is definitely very different from my experience when moving out to LA and kind of getting that more like traditional record label, traditional booking, understanding really what what happens in these deals under the table or I guess in the fine print rather, um, what's going on. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I have a few friends who, who make music and live, live in Philly and throw shows and it's definitely very DIY, like sort of undergroundish scene. They work, they do some like small venues and stuff. Um, yeah, it's a cool, it's a cool scene though in Philly for sure. <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, one of my highlights of college was having, like 150 people in my basement moshing to some, a friend's band from DC <laughs> that I made just from like throwing shows and stuff. So 
it, it was cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's fun. I, I got into throwing my own shows last year after like DJing a bunch in college and, uh, you know, putting it all together and then seeing everyone have a good time is definitely <laughs> like, it's, it's a rush. It's a good feeling. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I love the yeah event production kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, from that, I've been able to like put together events for different things within music in LA. And then even like in crypto stuff, I've now like <laughs> at my job, I feel like I wear so many hats at, at Lunar Crush, my, my full-time engineering job, but I've helped them with like event production. I also part of ATX DAO and was able to help like throw a big event for South by Southwest just because, you know, I don't know, but once you've done it, you kind of just like get, it is what you're saying with that like thrill of like, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I spent all these hours doing it and here it is. And it's, you know, stressful, but amazing at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I totally relate. Um, so uh, your transition to Web3 started when you were out in LA and you were like, tell me more about how that transition to full-time Web3 started. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was definitely something I realized after that call that it was like, this is, this is where I really wanted to be. I, I think I had been. An, that call with the uh, um, catalog like, founder. Yeah. Okay, Jeremy yeah. Is, is a good friend now. Um, but I had, I studied blockchain technology in college. Um, I actually did like a big research paper and all that sort of stuff. So from the engineering side, I was always really interested. Um, but I don't think I really wanted to make that full jump as a career until like diving into NFTs and what that could do for the music industry is kind of like what unlocked learning about all, all these other um, mechanisms of DeFi and all that sort of stuff. Um, and so I think, yeah, a big thing for me was, you know, just like getting consumed by learning. And so I spent so much time learning about new projects. Um, I started building out like my own little applications of like using Solidity. I joined, I think ETH Global, they had like a, a, a remote, um, I think it was, yeah, it was still COVID. So it was like a remote hackathon thing that they did joined that, found a team, started like building on some stuff. Um, and yeah, it, it just kind of got to a point where I was like, wow, this is like everything I want to be doing. And I had actually taken a few months to move and or a, a month I was, or so I was there. I moved to Mexico city to, you know, to, to stay and, and check out. And I found cool. the, the crypto community there, which there, it was, it was amazing. Um, and one of the engineers that I met was like, Hey, like you have the engineering skill set to do it. Like if you want to be doing this, like you should just go and, and try. And it kind of was just that push that I needed of just saying like, you know, I like the job I have now, but like, let me just see what's out there in the universe and, and throw a few feelers out there. And so, um, yeah, from that, from just like a few different job applications, I kind of tested the waters in, uh, that's where I found, you know, the team that I'm at right now and definitely was a great, great experience jumping into. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So the team you're at now is Lunarverse. That's what, is that what Lunar we said? Crush, yeah. Lunar Crush. Mm -hmm. So Lunar Crush is like social intelligence for crypto. So basically mm -hmm. tracking what people are talking about online from Twitter, Reddit, all this sorts of different outlets and aggregating that into kind of digestible ways that um, you can get like the sentiment of what people are actually feeling about these different coins, whether it's like bullish or bearish. And now we also have NFT analysis that we do in that same like social aspect. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Interesting. Um, I saw on your Twitter, you're also part of Dream Radio and Swiggleverse. Tell me more about that project and how you got involved <laughs> yeah, with that. Yeah. So, so Dream Radio is a, is a group of producers that I started working with actually when I first moved out to LA. So I've been working with them since since I guess almost like two years now, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. um, but an awesome group of producers that we've been able to put together different 
um, you know, like working with different artists, working on some sample pack kind of stuff, um, and then now entering a little bit into the the Web three world, and and there are super creative people, and and so it's it's been a lot of fun to be able to like, you know, go be, teach them a lot of things, but also now you know they're they're excited, they're learning and doing doing this sort of stuff. Uh huh. That's cool. So is the is the whole project about sort of like creating music and creating these sample packs and is there an nft uh associated with the project like yeah not at the moment just... but it, that's you know i think the the down the line path um mm -hmm. but yeah i mean the whole the whole concept of the swiggle verse is like taking in all of this negative energy and negative vibes from the world and outputting it into like positivity and so that's where that you know like have the concept of like putting it through the dream radio and then here's this product that comes out so really like excited to work with other artists in the space and that sort of stuff um yeah no definitely definitely really cool uh-huh yeah that's cool i mean it's always nice i think still working around musicians and producers and having that role i guess as a uh you know a supplement to your engineering <laughs> job i'm sure yeah, um, and I guess now slight, slight early news. I'm not, I'm not sure how much we had talked about it uh, when we had met, but uh, the a new project that I'm working on that does get the ability to have like a little bit more, less on the management side of like directly managing artists, but getting more to like work with artists to understand like pain points and interviewing them and, and talking to them about um, this for this product that I'm basically building. Okay, yeah, that's cool. That's what another side project you're working on right now? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's a uh, that's project. Hopefully, we'll be announcing more publicly later this week. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll stay tuned. <laughs> um, are you doing anything else with music now besides Swiggleverse and working with those uh, producers? Are you still managing any bands or doing anything? Yeah, so primarily Dream Radio now. I, I was working pretty closely with an artist earlier this year, Rain Stern. Um, she's incredibly talented. Definitely check her stuff out. Uh, and getting, you know, trying to, to advise and help basically have her uh, use her, like her, her presence as a musician to be able to help like impact change through like environmental things, as well as like LGBTQ rights. And so she has a lot of, of music that uh, works, the, the vocals are really surrounding these topics. And so we've, um, brainstormed and kind of worked out different ways to, to move forward with that. And I think that's honestly is a, has been a really good place to be at it is kind of being in this consultant role a little bit more. Um, and it's, it's funny now I do like, I have tech, my tech consulting hat that I wear, then I have my like music management or music web three consulting hat that I, that I'll wear. And so um, that's where I'm like way more happy to just take time, sit down with an artist, talk to them about like what they're building, why they're building and sort of be able to, to help strategize or then I have tech companies that I work through <laughs> doing the same kinds of things on the technology side. Um, but yeah, I think, I think most recently it's been a lot about uh, the project that I'm working on, which is called Bellow and, and being able to, to really focus a lot of my energy and talking to the artists and understanding like what is right now the, the issues that they're facing with Web3 and with the traditional music industry, um, as well as, you know, understanding my, my experience and my background to really build and, and create something that can utilize some of these pain points and, and help them make, you know, better decisions about their communities and all these sorts of things moving forward. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds pretty interesting. Is it mostly geared towards Web3 and like helping them figure out how to like enter the space the right way and sort of create a project? Or is it also tie in, you know, just sort of general consulting on their 
music career like overall? Yeah, so I guess I can give you a little bit of the origin of the project Bello um, and how it kind of came about and sort of where things are going. Yeah, yeah, that'd be um, great. Yeah, happy to share. So so Bello started as a concept with uh, me and a good friend of mine, Adam Levy. Um, so Adam hosts Mint Podcast. in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I like, listen to Mint. Yeah, yeah, he's awesome. So, yeah, he seems like a good dude. <laughs> um, so Adam had come to me and about I want to say like February no maybe like March or April and was like we were talking about this the problem um of like data that you have as a as a traditional web two creator versus data that you have as a web three creator and so like he was talking about and as well as like I I've seen with artists you know like when you're in the web two world you're on Spotify you're on SoundCloud you're on all these things like you have a somewhat of a analytics dashboard to understand like what are the demographics, the age, where do they live, all these sorts of things, gender somewhat, you can get these kinds of metrics. And from that there, like, like for instance, I know geographic location is a big one that when I've booked artists and I'm doing tours and those sorts of things, like I wanna see what cities are the most popular for, for the artists because those are the ones I know are gonna probably sell out tickets faster than some other town in like wherever it is. Um, so data is really important. Um, and I, you know, I, I work in data right now with Lunar Crush, but it's a different side of data. It's like social data, but I, I've seen how like data makes, you know, the a really big needle turn. And so essentially it was the idea that like, okay, there there are no, there there is no like dashboard for your web three community or your, your collectors. Like there's no way to understand and say, like, here's my here I am as whether you're a podcaster whether you're a musician, whether you're an artist, um, you don't have any way to understand who your web two, web three community really looks like. And so we came together, him and I, um, and we actually ended up going out to Amsterdam for ETH Amsterdam and working on a hackathon project around this concept. And we actually ended up winning and one of, one of the finalists for the, the hackathon it, for ETH Global that they did there. Um, so the project, we then realized like, okay, this definitely has some meat to it. The idea is there, we need to fine tune it. We need to talk to artists. We need to figure out like, what are the most important data points that they need to be able to use? And so um, me, him, and one of the other engineers that we worked with have been pretty much building this thing nonstop since then. So about three months or so we've been working on this. Um, and really, yeah, it's, it's a tool. It's a no code analytics tool for Web3 creators to learn more about like who their community is on chain. Um, and to get gather insights to help like create action around things like um, marketing that they can do, pricing that they can do for their next drop, all those sorts of things. And honestly, if you are a new artist getting into the space, it's a way to understand like what is the movement of these different holders in different collections. So if you're if you're starting out and you know that your music sounds similar to somebody else's, like you could go put in their contract and sort of understand the, the metrics behind their communities. Um, I think a really big one that we always find people like giving us the feedback that it's super useful on is um, being able to see, okay, I I have a collection and I have maybe a hundred holders, let's say. Um, I want to know what else they hold. Do they hold FWB? Do they also hold a board ape? Um, Yeah, are they parts of these different DAOs? Like what, what are they really doing? Because that's something that can help in that marketing aspect. So if you if you have a a holder whose collection and he sees that like 
25% also are a part of FWB. Maybe there's some sort of like cross promotion Twitter spaces or things that they can do to start utilizing that. Um, and I think, I think a really prime example is, is Adam himself who gives away free NFTs every season for his podcast to like, you know, for his participants and all those sorts of things. And in this last season, while we were still using Bello or building Bello um, and getting everything like out the door, he put in his season four contract and he saw that, I, I don't remember the exact numbers, it was like 12% held the Zora Zorbs, I think 11% held this other Zora one. And then there was like a Zora Genesis hackathon NFT or something that they also held. And so there was a ton of Zora overlap with his community. So he brought on the head of data from Zora to, to interview him and that ended up being one of his top most downloaded, if not the top downloaded episode for the season. Um, and so it's, it's a really interesting way where you can, you can start use, utilizing it for those sorts of things. Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. That sounds, that sounds super <laughs> useful, super interesting. Um, you know, that I've heard that how like NFTs are sort of the marketer's dream a little bit in terms of, you know, all the on-chain data is very traceable and you can see what people are actually spending their money and time on. Whereas like in web two, you're looking for all this like demographic information that will help you sort of piece together like what type of person they are and like statistically what they might be interested in buying or interested in just like looking into hobbies, stuff like that. But it's cool how in web three, like if you track their wallet with a tool, I guess, like you're building, you can see like exactly what collections they're buying a lot, exactly what tokens they hold, exactly what you know, what they're actually using their funds to transact with, which I think is obviously a much better tell of who they are than just like sort of statistical demographic information. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, there's, there's different, there's different, I think, um, metrics that are important for a web three creator, like something that I think is, is web three specific is, and we hear a lot about is like, what do I price my next collection mm -hmm. or my next drop mm -hmm. at? Um, and so something we've actually been able to build with Bello is a pricing recommendation. So we look at all of your holders purchases over the last, and, and the metric can change. We've really focused it around since like the bear market to show people because I think bull market people are spending a lot more. Yeah. Um, but in the past like 60 days, let's say like, what are your collectors purchasing and, and what price points are they purchasing at that? And then from there is where we can actually give you some sorts of recommendations. So you can see like, here are the different buckets that people are buying things. Um, and just so you have a little bit more like awareness if you're a creator and you're just like, I have no idea this, I could sell out at 1.1 ETH or I could maybe try to do, or, or 0 0.0 ETH or one, sorry, 0.01 ETH, or maybe I could try to do it for 0.1. Like, mm -hmm. you know, th that, that difference in price can make a huge, huge impact on you, but you might not know which one to go with because you're like, ah, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't have any reference to look at. Um, so that's really been something that we, we found that's helpful. Um, I, I think in general, though, you'll find regardless of Web 2, Web 3, you know, and obviously the Web 3 user or creators are still largely using some of Web 2 mechanisms. So whether it's um, TikTok or whether it's Spotify, if you're a musician or these sorts of things, um, they're still somewhat there, you know, like you're not never going to ha have music streaming, at least I wouldn't advise an artist to like say F you to Spotify right, altogether. Right, right. Um, but the biggest artists in Web2 or Web3, whatever, are using data. They mm -hmm. are using the metrics that, that, are, that are collected because frankly, data is an extraordinarily powerful mechanism. And so if you can, if you can have that demographic data, you can have that 
geographic data from Web2, and now you have a new mechanism to be able to actually like collect and understand. Um, and I, I think a large, a really big part of what we want to be doing is not just only giving you the data, but we want to give you actionable data mm-hmm. or insights and say like, say like, hey, we found this based on this, maybe you should do this, like recommendations, these sorts of things that like can make it super simple because I think the the really big need that we realized with building this was that what existed today in Web3 was either something like Nansen AI, which is primarily for like traders, investors. And so you can look at like different metrics around NFTs, but it's from more of like a price sale, et cetera, to, to know like buy and sell. Um, or you can use, so there's a tool called like Dune Analytics, but you have to like mm-hmm. actually be able to code in SQL to be able to write queries and get data. But there's nothing that really exists for the everyday user and especially creators like, you know, Adam came to me and he was like, I have, you know, he, he doesn't know how to use Dune. You wouldn't be able to do that. Mm-hmm. I could go on Dune and build something just for him. Or I could go, you know, collectively and we could brainstorm and figure out what to what to build and build something for all of the creators in the landscape. Uh huh. So yeah, I mean, theoretically, someone right now could just sort of use EtherScan to like track every wallet. But you know, individually, that's <laughs> going to take hours and hours. And, you know, if you're you have to record down all the statistics on like what they're buying and how much it costs. And so basically, what your project is doing is sort of coding all of that into a platform that analyzes all of that data and puts it into you know, an easy to read format for a collector who does, or a creator who doesn't need to learn any code or spend hours and hours and hours on basically EtherScan figuring all that out. Exactly. Yeah. You uh-huh. hit the nail on the head. We, we chatted with a, an artist um, a few weeks ago and they had someone on their team with like community manager that they literally had spent, the community manager had spent two, over two weeks gathering all of the, the across all the different collections that they had done on different platforms all of the holders, getting their addresses, trying to like, like doing all this manual process right. that literally took us like a few seconds to be mm-hmm. able to do. So I think that's a real powerful tool when you realize like, what is your time worth? Like, you know, and, and being able to do something that is that efficient and repeatable for everyone, because now instead of their community manager doing it and someone else's community manager doing it, it's all in together in one place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Is it more, is it geared towards like just creators in general? Or are you looking for more clients in music versus art? Or like, how do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think largely based on both Adam's and my experience, we're, we're definitely starting our reach initially into the music industry world of Web3. Um, I would say largely the tool is applicable to to different realms, whether it's, you know, if you're an artist, traditionally like fine artist, or if you're Um, even PFP projects, all this sorts of stuff, like this data is still extraordinarily useful. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think right now when we're, when we're talking about product ideation and iteration, we're really spending time to talk to these, these creators, musicians who are actively in the space. And I think primarily because both of us really do view Web3 music to be probably one of the biggest pushes that will happen in the next year or two in terms of, of Web3 NFTs in general. Like I, I think it's such a young untapped market that will continue to grow on your, you know, people are coming in still every day. And I, I think it is something that will have an extraordinary rise in, in the next few years. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. Like as 
the world goes more digital. I mean, people will sort of come around to the idea of digital ownership and digital collectibles. Um, I view a lot of these NFT projects as just sort of digital vinyl that you can buy a collectible to support an artist you like. And, you know, it's like buying memorabilia, which people have been into collecting for decades. Um, so yeah, that's, that's cool. It sounds like a really interesting project. What, what was the name of it again? And, and what was the timeline on when you're going to start sort of announcing stuff? Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> So the project is called Bellow. I think our Twitter is uh, at Bellow Sites. Um, and the timeline right now is, is that like we, so the product the product is built. Our whole goal was uh, to get a, get the MVP ready, I think before NFT NYC. So over the past like few, I guess, I don't know, that was a month, a little over a month ago. Um, we've been talking to more artists, more on like a interview level, showing them the product, getting feedback, iterating, all those sorts of things, adding new features. Um, and so now the, the plan is alongside uh, the rollout of mid-season six, which we'll be announcing tomorrow, I believe, Adam will be. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so we're, we're going to be opening it up to more beta testers. So now the beta product will be open, um, gated, and we'll have a wait list. And, and essentially, we'll be having a NFT surrounding like uh, access to the site. So you'll get the NFT as mm -hmm. a beta user, and then you'll be able to access um, certain, certain search a certain amount of collections and all that sort of stuff. Um, planning to have a loose goal of production, like fully open to everyone via some sort of like, whether it's NFT access still, but anyone can do it. Or mm -hmm. if it's a subscription, we're not, not totally sure yet. Have time yeah. to that out, But that hopefully will be, you know, later this year. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I feel like with the like subscription versus NFT model is something I've th sort of thought about a lot because like a lot of creators will have like a Patreon account or something like that. And with, with an account like that, I think the benefit of that over an NFT is that you can just have like an endless supply and with right. like an online creator who has an account like that. You don't want to cut it off at, and like, same thing for, for your product. Like you, you don't really want to limit the total amount of people that can use it. Right. But then it also, you know, then you don't get the benefits of someone actually owning their membership and being able to like theoretically sell it off. if They can't use it anymore, or maybe the value of the product goes up and, you know, they paid a fraction of what it's worth now. So I'm curious how you think of that balance or decision between like just a regular subscription model or an nft release for the access to the product yeah i think i think there's a few things you mentioned there um one i think no thing to note is that there is no requirement with an nft to have a finite amount of them so I could have a, an NFT that continuously mints as long as I want. I think the, the key thing that you mentioned, though, is like, well, what if someone wants to resell it at a higher value, um, which is a definitely an interesting uh, consideration. And so I think the way I've been thinking about it is when you come into this sort of like tier model of usability. And so if you have potentially, you know, baseline is like a free version where you get and this not maybe doesn't even just apply to our site, but it applies to these this kinds of model in general, um, where you have like a baseline service that you're providing for us, the baseline data that we provide. Um, and then from there, you know, you have maybe a little bit more data that you provide. 
And so that's like the next tier. Like you have, yeah, that baseline free tier. You could have a tier that unlocks more, maybe a tier that does something more. Um, and so, the, uh, you know, there's all these different ways of looking at that. Um, and so the, and when it looks, when you, when you compare that to what it could be as an NFT, I think there's like similar structures that can play. Like you could say have one singular NFT that represents you as a, as a like customer or user or whatever subscriber. Um, and within that, like, you know, you like, like basically it's, it's a piece of code. So you can do whatever you want with it. You can manipulate it. You have metadata the same way that you would have for like, say even things like rarity, like, you know, you have for PFP projects where some are more rare, some are less rare. So there's, you know, that same level of um, traits that you could add or attributes you could add to your collection that basically um, pinpoint whether you're a bottom tier user or a higher tier, all those sorts of things. Or I guess the alternative is that you have separate NFTs for each of them and they're, they live as their own individual collections. Um, so I, I think that, there is benefit that being said to what you were talking about earlier with like the resale i think there's benefit of having scarcity when it comes to some of these subscription uh mm -hmm. tiers and so if you had you know if anybody could go and get the top tier like that might be beneficial but it also you know depending on what services you're offering you might not actually be able to um, as a company be able to support all of them so a, a good example of this is think of like um, I mean, I, as a developer, I guess this is where my brain goes. I think about like API usage. So when people go to, to, to use an API or something like this, they can get like the baseline amount or a free amount. They can do like a paid amount, or maybe there's like an enterprise version mm -hmm. that you can get that gives you like a bunch of different, uh, API keys or a bunch of different things that you can, you can access. Um, but when doing that, you know, there's, there's a certain level of like support that, the team who's providing this, this API needs to give you. They need to be able to like answer messages, answer calls, do all those sorts of stuff. And depending on how big their team is, there might only be a certain amount of resources that they can allocate to you or your project. So mm -hmm. similar- Could you give uh, a uh, quick definition of API for listeners <laughs> yeah. who probably don't really know what the hell you're uh, talking about? I, yeah, I mean, I, I know it's application programming interface, but I'm not much of a developer. Yeah, sure. So I could, I could use a basic definition myself, really. Yeah, no problem. Um, yeah, definitely always stop me if I, <laughs> if I go in my own rabbit hole of things. Um, yeah, and, and API is essentially a way, like when, when you say program interface, I feel like people think like, yes, it stands for application program interface. I think a lot of people will hear that and they'll think like, oh, like an interface that I use on my browser, like I open up a website, like not necessarily. Um, what it actually more is, is like accessing the data that a project may have. So let's tie it back to music mm -hmm. uh, and talk about Spotify. So Spotify is a service um, and you can go on Spotify and upload your music and you can listen to other people's music and you can go to somebody's, um, a artist that you love, you can go to Drake's profile and you can see how many monthly listeners that Drake has. You can see the, the artists that are also like Drake recommended, recommended to you, all that sort of stuff. Um, and you can go and use their, their website or their application to do that. Um, what an API does is it says that me as a developer, I can also, via my code, like I can write a program that goes and hits 
a, a place like basically get, I go and I can access through my code, the data that Spotify has. Okay. Um, so I could basically get into my code. Like I could build my own website that says Drake's followers on Spotify and then, and it would show up on my own website. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, th- there's so certain- that's, so those like the Spotify wrapped, I guess, or no Spotify wrapped is through Spotify, but there are other websites like that yeah. that access your Spotify data and give you some sort of fun, like summary of like the genres you listen to and stuff right. like that. I think so that's basically one. an API that's accessing Spotify's data and printing and they're out. And what the API exactly. does is give you, you know, your, your barg or your circle chart of all the genres you listen to something like that. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's a, that's a prime example. I think people were doing that with like um, your top artists of the month or the year or things like that. They, yeah, that Google, yeah. Spotify maybe shows you once a year, but they'd also don't show you that. Like, like I want, like if I wanted to know, know nitty gritty, like, yeah, what is my top artist today mm-hmm. that I listen to or right. to, like in the week or in the month? Um, yeah. You could go in and use access that via an API, um, but it doesn't also just have to be necessarily like, like graphs that you're getting from, from things like that. Um, it could be, basically any kind of data that somebody, some, some system holds. So mm-hmm. if you wanted to get um, all of the countries and their like country codes, for instance, sure, uh, there might be a place you could go and access that data and pull that into your program. Um, but I think maybe, maybe a little bit more of a, an easier to, to look at example is, is similar to an, an API or like a piece of software. Um, look at like, I don't know if, if any of you guys have paid for it, like, like Slack or like a project management tool or any of these mm-hmm. sorts of things, like where they have like a baseline tier that's maybe free for a certain amount. And then to have a certain amount of more users, you have to pay for like, um, you know, per, per seat up to a certain point. But then there might be a company that comes along and has like 50,000 people that work for them. And so they can't just pay per seat the same way that these other people do. Mm-hmm. It would cost crazy. So they have more of like a, a special solution for them. Um, so that's where I think, I think tier structure is really interesting. And I, I think for instance, for Bello, like we have been doing largely up until this point, a, some, some of our uh, people we've been onboarded have really been like specialized. Like we will sit there, we want to talk to you. We want to understand what data you want. And we may even actually build out personalized dashboards for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that's not something that I can do for uh, if there's 150 people, 10,000 people using it. Like not everyone could get that, but if somebody has maybe that top tier subscription, they might be able to access it. Um, and so, I mean, I, I think an NFT is, is something interesting because when Bellows, Bellows young, right? So we might have a, a, a premium NFT where we say um, there's only 15 that exist, 10 that exist, who knows? Mm-hmm. And so we launched those right now. And while the product is still young and maybe we don't have as much data as we will in two years, three years, you can get that premium NFT for a, a cheaper value. Um, and then potentially, you know, we can, well, as we grow, that will be resold and all those sorts of things can happen and kind of allow market to decide. Um, I, th- I think it's something fun to play with. And, and especially since our community is the people we're, we're working with are largely Web3 artists who understand these models that it's, um, it's something to, to try out and doesn't necessarily mean I think one is better or worse at the moment. Um, it's just a different means to an end. And I think some, you know, there's pros and cons to both of them. For sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's sort of almost project by project and even, even tier by tier within one project, you can sort of make the decisions on how you want to run the subscription, uh, through NFT or not. 
um how, how do you find the artists that you've been working with on the beta version and um what do you what have been some of their biggest pain points that you've helped solve so far yeah so it's a wide range of things i think like i said um first and foremost my own network adam's own network we just know a lot of people in in the industry and mm-hmm. especially you know him just having the podcast you know he's he's been able to also talk to a lot of artists and hear see kind of what's been developing um i think nft nyc was also like really great to be on the ground talking to people directly there that was like the first time i actually was able to show live to an artist i remember it was like in person the first time i actually got to show like i'd been working like not like you know staying up late every night to finish yeah and uh, it was a really rewarding experience to be able to, to, you know, them to be like, oh, wow, like you, you can pull all this. I didn't know this information was there. Um, I think people, things that people are interested in so far, the stuff that we have that we do provide are, are focused around. Yeah. Like what else are, are people like basically generating this profile of what their holders are doing in the, in the movement patterns. So one of the biggest things is like, yeah, what else do they hold? What other communities are they part of? Um, mm-hmm. and, you know, being able to track those sorts of things. I, I think something that I, I've been looking at to add recently, which probably will come out soon, um, is just the idea of like being able to look at a, at an NFT project, whether you're the artist yourself, or maybe you're potentially an investor or just kind of curious and to understand like what aspect of loyalty, quote unquote, do the holders of this project have? Um, And so what I mean by that is that there are a lot of NFT projects out there, especially, you know, looking back at the PFP projects, there's tons of flip and come up and down and blah, blah, blah. And there's certain reasons that people buy NFTs. Some may claim for utility, some may claim for, you know, that collectability aspect that you talked about earlier. Um, But there are a lot of people that buy NFTs to buy and sell and flip them. Mm -hmm. And so they don't necessarily really care as much about what the product is, they just, they see it as like a, okay, there's a time I get in and there's a time I get out. Um, And that can say a lot about the longevity, I think of a project. And so an interesting data point is looking at, at what interval is somebody buying and then selling this NFT? Um, Do your, is your community at large, someone who bought it and has never sold it and they will continue to hold on to it? Are they somebody, are they groups of people that just buy it and maybe in a few days when, when it, advantageous sell it to somebody else um so i think i think you know there's metrics like that that people are curious about um i think this this is something that we've also been getting a lot of feedback that is really uh beneficial for DAOs. so not only when you think about nfts if you if you're a DAO <coughs> community you have um members of your community whether it's through a, a fungible or even non-fungible token or fun both of them, social token or something like that. Uh, Understanding like engagement that like how much are people actually a part of these DAOs, understanding their price, like movements of things that they're doing. I think there's a lot that we can, that can be built off of there. Um, And then I think one of the ones that's honestly the biggest hurdle at the moment is when we get people who, who, who come to us and they say, I am a web three creator but I also have music on Spotify. I also have Twitter followers. I also have social media, Instagram or TikTok. Well, like, why can't I see all this at once? And so this is where it actually gets really difficult from an engineering perspective because people want to tie this 
on-chain data, which is basically looking at somebody's like wallet address with a Twitter account or with a Instagram profile or with a TikTok. And so they want to tie one user to one user. And what becomes tricky when you're doing that is that like one, yeah, one, one could be entirely anonymous or it could be partially pseudonymous where somebody like um, some user could have something, something dot ETH as their ENS domain. Right. Could tie that to a, a, a Twitter handle that also is dot so-and-so dot ETH. Twitter yeah. Handle. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could say, yeah, that's probably the same person. Um, but there's also only a degree of certainty that you can get with that. Like you can't say hundred percent, this is the same person. Cause I can just go make a bunch of Twitter accounts with all the, the un- right. Or you know, buy, whatever. yeah. Or buy all the, you know, people with bot will make bots to do the most ridiculous <laughs> stuff. Um, so I think that's something that's, that I've been, I've been really looking at it and trying to, to attack in different directions and trying to find ways to, to be able to do that. Cause I, I, I see the importance of it. I see mm-hmm. that there should be a way to, to have this all kind of in one, one place to be able to see like how, what is my health as an artist? Like, how am I doing really? Um, and what, you know, what are the things that I could be doing next? Yeah. Yeah. I can, I mean, I can imagine that's a tough challenge, but, um, <laughs> you know, hopefully, hopefully we get there eventually. Um, we're coming up on time here. I'm not sure if you need to leave it for, I'm happy to go over if you've can, got some I time. I stay a little bit longer. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. Alarm. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's all right. Um, Sort of switching gears a little bit, I saw that you were on almost a global tour of uh, <laughs> with a lot of crypto conferences in between. I wanted to ask you about that whole experience and, you know, what, what do you think you learned as like overarching themes in the space, maybe specifically music and NFTs, if you have any insight there. But I mean, I'm sure you learned a bunch. I'd, I'd love to hear about it. Yeah, no, it, it was definitely a very incredible experience. Um even just looking back to like beginning of this year in terms of how much has changed is kind of actually in how much I've learned uh, is honestly is incredible. Um, I would say, yeah, like my, my first like major NFT conference or crypto conference was uh, started last year at Decentralcon in um, Miami, but that one was like not the conference itself was like, okay. Um, but my first like real conference, I, I would more attribute to being like, ETH Denver this year, which was their first one back um, in person since you know COVID and all of that sort of stuff. Um, so I've gotten to attend, you know, the the ETH conferences I mentioned earlier. ETH Amsterdam, uh, I was out there traveling in Europe for a little bit. Got to attend in the U.S. NFT LA and and then uh, I think NFT Miami, Bitcoin Miami, uh, Coin Bureau had a conference in London, NFT Istanbul, which was really awesome. Uh, consensus and then NFT NYC, I think there might maybe something I'm missing in there, but uh, definitely, definitely got to check them all out, both uh, three. And so I guess three of them internationally and then many in the, in the U S as well. Um, and yeah, the, I think that there's definitely a different, different aspect for, for, I think like content creation at a conference. And so like, what I mean by that is like who the target is, so at like ETH Denver, ETH Amsterdam is extraordinarily developer focused. Mm-hmm. So most of my energy there was frankly, like I learned a ton, like each of those, I came back, like knowing a lot about the technology underlying what we're, we're all doing in this space, how it works, what we can do in the future. Um, and then you have the, the NFT conferences that I think are focused a largely and, and do have what, what I enjoy to seeing is like an extraordinary amount of diversity. 
um, compared to, I think, some of the other conferences. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is something, I think largely what I mean by diversity is like actually just in like um, interest and in what people want to be doing. And it's, it's, it is something where you find a lot of creativity um, and people experimenting in ways that are unique. So I, I think, I think there's benefit of having developer focus and you like hundred percent need that. Like I frankly love them so much. Um, and I think what, what it really is showing is that like, you know, you have this technology that's there and it can, it can do amazing things. Um, but you need to be able, it needs to be something that's accessible for people to actually like create off of and build off of. And I think that's why I do have a passion for NFTs because I see this as a gateway to bring in so many more people to be able to actually like, uh, have unique ways of utilizing the technology. Um, so I think, I think some of the most like fun takeaways have just been, of course, like getting to go and like see live performances <laughs> at them. Like I love live music. Like I said, I used to have a live show music venue. I used to go to shows like four times a week sometimes. Mm -hmm. some yep. Um, and you know, I think that's, that always adds, a, a more fun aspect, a little bit less like stiff aspect. Um, and then, you know, then you, I don't know, to me, it's, it's, it is a really like beneficial thing just to see the direct impact that it has. So like, again, I guess kind of compares carrying back to like the developer focus versus like the NFT creator focus conferences. It's like the engineers are building this stuff and you're, you're just so heads down and like looking at lines of code all day that like, you kind of forget that what you're building has the ability to affect like direct human beings and like their lives and what they're, what they, what they can do. And so like knowing, getting, going out and getting to meet the artists, getting to meet the creators that will potentially use Bello or, you know, use some of these other tools that I've interacted with or helped advise for or whatever, um, I think is, is, is something that is like needed. You know, you need to understand when you're developing in this space, you need to understand like who are the people that you're working for and, and why why are the why do the pains that they have exist and how can you help uh, mitigate them? Cool. Wow. Yeah. That's that's I think a really interesting point from a, a developer perspective that I hadn't thought about before. Um, that's cool. I'm sure I'm sure it's a lot of fun, you know, meeting all those people. New, I mean, NFT NYC was a great time, especially with the live performances. Like it was really cool just seeing all these people come together around NFTs just, you know, to go to a concert, basically. Um, and yeah, yeah, I met a lot of interesting people there and definitely, definitely think I learned a lot as well. Um, does anyone you met at any of these conferences like stick out in terms of like what they're working on or just like, you know, amazing people to meet or I don't know oh, any, anything that sticks out so a lot right yeah <laughs> um yeah I mean <laughs> I, I, I feel like it's just been amazing like to to make so many friends through going like I you know I've I've now have like a lot of really solid relationships with people who are also passionate about the same things that I am and I I love being able to catch up with them and and get on a phone call whether it's someone from catalog or somebody from uh, sound XYZ or, and getting, you know, to talk to them for just because I've, I've met them at these different places and, um, and kind of, yeah, becoming like a closer knit community around music and, and everything that we're doing here. It is funny. I, I think you start to realize how, like, uh, when you, when you take a step back, obviously, like you realize that like music NFTs are like a niche within a niche within a niche. Right. <laughs> like yeah. it's like, 
the energy industry is really small. Um, it's growing a lot, but I, I frankly love the fact that it does feel like a community. Um, I'll even say that like, like NFT LA, I remember like I, I lived in LA for a while and um, I lived there mostly during the pandemic. So it was, it was, you know, a different experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and the music scene in LA is, is very different. Like I was mentioning to Philly, like it, it's not, Philly is that very DIY feel. Um, and, and along with the DIY feel of Philly, it has like a so, so strong community. Like the people that are in the music scene there, they're like, they all like know the other band and they know that band. And like, it has a sense of like, yeah, like identity tied to that. And going to NFT LA, I remember like there was a lot of music shows there and it was the first time getting to go to some of these like, yeah, Web3 music events. Um, And it really did have that same level of like community. Like it was a group of people who recognized the faults in the traditional music industry coming together for a shared passion of like making a difference, being able to do it on their own, being able to be outside the, the traditional model um, which is, you know, quote unquote DIY, like, you know, you're doing it yourself, your you're, Web3 empowers you to, to do it yourself. And so I think that that's something that I, it was, it was really beautiful to be able to see and go back to LA and see like this, a sense of community being grown, uh, growing there through Web3. And so I really hope to see more of it. I, I get to see some of it online, um, but hopefully I'll be back soon to, to go to some of those. Yeah, that's really cool. I, I sort of thought you were going to say the opposite as you were like building from Philly to LA. I thought you were going to say that, you know, you go to LA and it's all superficial and everyone's well, like, sort of cutthroat, which I'm sure it's, I mean, it's probably a little more like that than Philly, but no, I think it's really cool that, you know, you still go out to LA where things can feel fake sometimes, I think, and to see right. a genuine community around music, NFTs and music and NFTs like separate also. Well, that's um, what I, that's I think cool. it's a, is a good point is that like, yeah, like the, the, the image that I had in my head previous to going back before, I guess, like my new uh, exposure to web three, like it was that like where, you know, I obviously have a lot of people that I love that when I lived in LA, but it's a different, you know, it's a different world. It's a different level of like friendliness. It's, it can be, yeah, like superficial clicky can, it can have all those sorts of aspects to it. Um, and so, you know, the, the music industry there is, is different. It's not, it's tra- traditionally different. Like mm-hmm. it's not very community driven. It is largely like, who do you know? How do you get into things like networky, networky? Like, what can I get from you? What can you get from me? Um, and very flashy at times too, and all that sort of stuff. But I, I think that's where it was really surprising in a beautiful way that this, this community was like, you know, while I'm sure a smaller subset of the traditional, the whole uh, LA music scene in general, but it, it did have that ability to kind of like emerge through and, and have this, this impact and, you know, in this area. So. Yeah. You love to see something like that. That's awesome. Yeah. For sure. um, <laughs> as we're sort of winding down here, I think uh, a couple more questions I wanted to get you to get or ask you. Um, our advice for musicians or people who are interested in getting into web three. Um, you know, it seems like you've had a lot of good experience working with smaller artists and obviously working in web three. So, you know, what would you say to, let's say an independent band or producer who is interested in web three, but doesn't really know where to start? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, 
I think there's there's obviously a lot that can seem intimidating and at at, for, at first, and so there's a lot of like buzzwords and all those sorts of things that you'll hear people talking. And so even the word Web three, you might be like, what? What? I don't know what that means. <laughs> like I hear people use it, but I like I don't really get it. <laughs> and that's okay, and that's like totally fine to to still be learning. Like I think um, the number one thing is probably that is that you'll you'll just be learning, and that's like I guess like adopting that student mentality is something that's really beneficial. Um, I you know I don't think I go a single day waking up knowing as much as I do when I go to sleep, and I love that. And and part of that is as an engineer, but part of that is just working in this space. I think there is there's a lot to to, to see and hear. Um, I think the biggest thing though is that you know one, once you start adopting the student mentality and you start kind of absorbing from whether it's from Twitter or, or friends or, you know, talking to other people or following them on, on whatever uh, methods of social media, like th there's a lot of ways to consume the knowledge. Um, and so you might get to a point where you're like, okay, well now I, I sort of get that. I sort of understand like what these terms mean, but like, I, I don't really know what to do next or like, should I do something next? Or like, you know, maybe I have this idea, but I don't know if that really works. Like, I think the, the biggest thing that I've seen working in this space is that it does move extraordinarily quickly. Um, and so even looking back now to like some of the biggest like PFP projects and how like the ideas around PFPs, like that stuff would never work today. It worked like six months ago. Mm -hmm. Like there's no other industry that I know of that moves that quickly. <laughs> right. Standard of something. And then six months later, it's like thrown out the window and nobody's doing that anymore. Yeah. Um, so if anything, I think that should may, or maybe can take a little bit of weight off your shoulders as an artist and, and let you just kind of like realize that, okay, like stuff is changing. If I have an idea for something, I might as well just try it. I, I could go, you know, there, there are traditional ways and <laughs> traditional feels like a funny word coming out of my mouth, but there are ways that people do interact in Web3 right now. Like you can, <laughs> I know right. it's like traditional, like, traditional, you know, they've been like doing like it for here. six months. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, there, there are platforms that exist today. If you want to go out and mint an NFT, you can go on Mint Songs. You can, you know, if you want to do some kind of music video NFT, you can, you can do that on Glass. You know, you can apply to have stuff on Sound XYZ or Catalog or, or these different places. Um, and, and, you know, that's, that's a great way just to get introduced and start. Like, go mint an NFT. You might not sell it. might be might be anything. But at least, like, you're getting, through, getting the experience. And sometimes I think people get stuck in that roadblock of, like, well, I don't even know how to do that. Um, and I, I'm always just a big person of just like, go out and try it, try something. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and honestly start, yeah, start talking to people because it is it like I, we've, you know, we keep coming back to the word community. Like it, it is something where people are really excited about not only if you're creator launching their own career, but they genuinely want to help other people. Like people in the space want to see other people be successful because they're here for like the why, not the what if that makes sense. And the people yeah, that I, I respect and I love in this industry are, are here for the why. Um, I yeah. see the, the bigger future of where this is going. I, I, I know what the, the flaws are of where things exist today. And so I see the, the bigger vision, the why. And I think um, those are the people I would recommend surrounding yourself by rather than people who maybe see the what as like a dollar sign. Yeah. I mean, especially but, right now as the market has turned pretty downwards, um, you know, a lot of those, a lot of the speculators that are just in it for the money and, you know, the next flip or, you know, even the midterm collection or like mid midterm hold just to, you know, sell it off. 
there's not a lot of that going on anymore, I feel like. And, you know, like you said, the space moved so fast six months ago. It was like, which is the next hype PFP that's going to make me, you know, a few ETH overnight. And now it's like, and all those projects after doing a few months of like research and collecting the space, I sort of realized that 90% of those projects were like, you know, you get the series two NFT along with like some whitelist access to their collaborators and, you know, the exclusive merch drop and a couple in real life parties. I'm like, these are all the same projects, which is like different wording around their roadmap. But now there's, you know, it's now I feel like it's hard to find a project that's doing like exactly that. And every new like drop is focused around like something more specific and building something more long term that isn't just like some made up Web3 brand that sort of has no real uh, sort of purpose. Um, so, yeah, I think that's definitely good advice. I mean, pe- there's plenty of people out there who are willing and and happy to you know onboard people and give them advice on how to how to enter the space the right way do you have any specific examples of like communities or platforms that you think are good for onboarding and educating people who are interested in getting involved yeah i mean i would say if you're interested in ed- like the educational learning side i'll definitely plug my co-founder adam levy uh for mint podcast he He's, he's been talking a little, like through a lot of the creator economy, but in, in the past few uh, seasons, he's done a lot with musicians. So some of the, you know, the top people he, he's gotten to, to sit down and chat with. And so some really powerful insights, I think there. Um, I think they're, they're definitely communities that I just enjoy. Like I really, I really like Zora. I'm good friends with everyone at Catalog. I think they're all incredible people. Um, and so anytime I see people that like, I just kind of met or know um, doing Twitter spaces, like, you know, I'll try to hop in. So, you know, you often do hear some really interesting things. And I think that's, that's a great place to like, once you start like having questions and you want, you don't necessarily know who to ask them to, like, if you can get on stage there and start chatting with somebody, like I'm almost guarantee you're going to get a response. People are going to want to try to help you. Um, I think, yeah, there, there's definitely some, some other t- like uh, tools I'd recommend. Uh, I have good friends with the people also at, at Water and Music. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yeah, yeah. I recently yeah. joined that community. I bought yeah, the they're, they're version awesome. two and lifetime NFT. And yeah, they do a lot of it. They do a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, no, they're super awesome. Really, really strong. Like I, I see the vision of everything they're doing. Um, and definitely like we align in, in like the data side of things. So like they what, the, what they've done is, is really great. I think like one, I'll highlight one of the tools uh, they built was like, basically around like uh, creating a music NFT and what that looks like from like a legal standpoint. So they had this like whole tool that they built out. Um, like, obviously it's not like, you're, they're not a lawyer, they're not like advising, but it's, it's trying to just give more like information because I think a lot of times artists have this kind of like black box around like what really goes on in terms of like my royalties and where do things go? And like, you know, understanding even the breakdown difference between NFT or Web3 royalties versus like your royalties that you may get from Spotify or traditional DSPs. Um, and like, I think that that's like, to me, I think that those kinds of educational things are, are so important. Um, yeah, I, I think that those are definitely like some of my favorites. I'm sure there are tons out there, other ones that uh, you can be a part of and sure I have lists of Twitter accounts that I just follow. Yeah, sure. <laughs> just start following like <laughs> anyone that lists music NFTs on, on Twitter and just go. <laughs> yeah look through their followers and then, you know, 
pretty soon you can rack up a, a, a <laughs> lot of a lot of followings. For sure. Um, yeah, that's great. Um, do you have anything else that you want to you know talk about what you have going on or anyone else you want to plug before we uh, sort of wrap up here? I mean, you talked a lot about Bello, and I'll definitely be keeping an eye out for that. Um, but if yeah. there's anything else you want to mention, you know, go ahead. No, I think I think that definitely Bello is uh, the thing I've been putting most of my heart and soul into recently, and and you know, it at that stage of yeah, I'm really being able to to talk with artists and and hear what their pain points are. So I think that's, that's a big thing. If if you guys, you know, if anyone does have um, ideas around what data could do for them, or they you know they want to see what this product could be, definitely check out Bello. Um, bello.lol is the is the domain <laughs> um you can sign up to get on our wait list there is that b-e-l-o um, or, or b-e-l-l b-e-l-l-o dot l-o-l <laughs> <laughs> um yeah and our email is hello at bello.lol <laughs> make it real real good for y'all nice. um, <laughs> but yeah i mean if, if you're interested in, in having any kind of like walkthrough if you feel like you have you know you want to see this one-on-one we're definitely still at a stage of happy to to chat with anybody. Um, and you know, if you're a creator, definitely feel free to DM me and I'm, I'm happy to chat, uh, how often I can. Um, and yeah, I, I would say, yeah, just if you're, if you're starting out, I'm, you know, I'm glad that you're on the journey. I think there's, there's going to be a lot of people joining in the music NFT space and web three movement, um, in the future. And so I am excited for you. <laughs> All right, Allie, well, thanks again. I really appreciate your time. Um, and I think this was a great conversation. I definitely learned a lot. And I'm excited to see how Bello, how Bello goes. Thanks. Awesome, Jake. Okay. All right. Good luck with everything. See ya. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you check the links in the description to find and support Ellie and Bello and the other projects she's been involved with. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can follow us on social media at the Web3 Music Pod on all platforms to keep up with new episodes and announcements. And tune in next week to hear a conversation with Chris Hansberger from the NFT ticketing company Neon Ox.